Hi, my name is Mary McNeil. I'm the director for the Jersey Shore Dream Center, the way that Shore Christian Church does outreach. We're glad that you're here. We hope that you enjoy this sermon from our new series, Psalm 23. For more sermons like this, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks. All right, here we go. Who's ready for part three? All right, today we are going to focus on verse six of Psalm 23. Um, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all of the days of my life. And and I'm going to kind of tie it all in, so you got to stay with me for the next 30 minutes because it's all going to just come together uh, beautifully, I believe, and it's really going to help a lot of people in here this morning um, who feel alone and feel like um, you don't have a stalker, a good stalker, uh, but you do. And uh, I want to take you all the way to the beginning and tell you about a guy who had a stalker. Uh, he was the first one that God really showed up to in a mighty way, and uh, that was this guy. His name was Abraham. And if you go with me to Genesis chapter 12, uh, this is Father Abraham. He had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. And I'm one of them. And so were you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right hand, left arm. That's like old, like, children's church humor. If you don't get it, you're the normal one, and we're not. Uh, So Father Abraham, here he goes. God comes to him. He's 75 years old. And uh, uh, he says to him, verse 2, Abraham, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I am going to bless you in so many different ways. I'm going to have my goodness and my mercy follow you everywhere you go, Abraham. And not only will I bless you, but you will be a blessing to others. How do you know that God's blessings are not just for you? They are so that you can bless others and help others and serve others. That's why you can't hoard God's blessings. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. You're going to be the father of many nations, but then 10 years goes by in Abraham's life, and and still no children. Now he's 85 years old. I've seen a a few 85-year-old people in my life, and a lot of them look, you guys look phenomenal, but you don't look like you're in childbearing years, just saying. And so here's Abraham, 85 years old and, and still no baby. God has a promise, but a lot of times God's promises don't come with progress. Amen. Anyone, if, if you understand that, that's how God works. And, and then verse 16, it says, Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had bore him no children, but he had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. And so she said to Abraham, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my servant. And perhaps I could build a family through her. Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. Husband, sometimes even when your wife tells you to do something, you need to say, I I love you, honey, but I'm not going to go there. Okay, because sometimes your wife will tell you to do something, and then you do it, and then your wife will get mad at you because you did the thing that she told you to do, and then you'll say to her, but you told me to do it, but it doesn't really matter because if you're, if you're a, a husband, you understand that, that sometimes you even do what your wife says, and you still get in trouble. Do I hear an amen from the, from the men um, without getting elbowed in the gut from their wives? Um, and so Abraham does what his wife says and, and goes and, and sleeps with his maidservant, uh, Hagar. And uh, that's where we're going to leave that text. And the title of this morning's sermon is Valley Stalkers. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for the worship that you have bestowed upon us. I pray, Father, that you will give me the words to say to be able to meet every single heart and soul in here this morning, where they're at, Father God. I pray that they will not leave the same. In Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen. amen. Anyone ever had a stalker before? I have a stalker. I have a stalker. Uh, an internet stalker. Okay. Uh, really freaked me out. Really did. Uh, just the other day, um, I, uh, I, I was searching on Amazon for a pair of Jordan shoes that I really wanted. Uh, the Jordan 3s. And, and I, I was, you know, a little expensive, waiting for it to come down a little bit right now. And so I'm, I'm looking on it, and, and then I, I, I X out of, of Amazon. And all of a sudden, Jordan's stalking me. Everywhere I go. And I'm freaked out. I go on Facebook, first thing I see, Jordan Shoes. I, I, go, I go on Instagram, Jordan Shoes. I'm watching commercials, Jordan Shoes. All of a sudden, I'm seeing everybody wearing Jordan shoes everywhere I go. Uh, I peep the Jordan 3s everywhere. Saw a billboard the other day, Jordan shoes. So I'm freaked out. Amazon is, is, is stalking me. Anyone ever had this problem before? And it's like, it's like everything you see, like you're, so, uh, God forbid, maybe you're searching like for toilet seats or something like a little inappropriate on your Amazon page. Then all of a sudden, you're, it's just everywhere you go and you're freaked out because the internet is watching us right now. They are. I'm a little, you know, Zuckerberg, a little creepy, that guy. You know, I, I've, you know there's a reason why he's got tape over his camera on his uh, computer. You know, I mean, you know. <laughs> Who's gotten a little freaked out by Amazon because, because you, you have a, a stalker, and, and a lot of times when we hear stalker, we think of a, a bad thing. When we think of someone following us, we think it as a negative because it's creepy, but I want you to know in a, in a different way that we have a God who is stalking us. The Bible says that he neither sleeps nor slumbers, that he knows the number of hairs on our heads, that he is so intertwined in who we are that he stalks us and he watches us as we sleep. Sometimes Judah will come in our room and I'll be sound asleep. I'll open my eyes and he is sitting next to my bed staring at me. It is one of the creepiest things you could ever experience as a father. But in a totally non-creepy way, God does the same thing to you as you sleep. He's watching you. He's everywhere. And he is stalking you with two friends. Goodness and mercy. But what if I make a mess of my life? Well, I got good news for you. Every single person in the Bible made a mess of their life. And I, I've got news for you as well, is that a lot of times the miracle is in the mess. That there's ministry in the mess. That there's mercy in the mess. That some of the greatest meals come after the greatest messes. Do I hear an amen from you Thanksgiving hog feast people? Because when I walked in on, on Thanksgiving and I saw what the kitchen looked like, man, it was a mess. I mean, there was stuff everywhere. There was stuffing all over the place. There was turkey grease all over the floor. I felt so uncomfortable I had to put an apron on and, and, and plastic gloves because the mess was 
everywhere. But let me tell you that that meal was the most delicious meal that I ever had in my life. Because a lot of times in the kitchen, it's the, the deliciousness, the, the I, I'm going to make up a word. The scrum truelessness of the meal is tied to the, the size of the mess in the kitchen. Do I hear an amen? And the same is true in your walk with God because a lot of times the greatest messes that God sees in people's life, God says, I'm not going to walk over you because of that mess. I'm going to choose you because of that mess because there's mercy in that. There's a miracle in that mess. And that was the case with Abraham. Abraham made a mess out of God's promise. God, God promised him. That he was going to be the father of many nations. That surely goodness and mercy are going to follow you. You are blessed, Abraham. And then 10 years in, saw no progress. And so he, he does something with his wife, Sarai was her name, that was a little crazy. A little weird. Something that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. But I realized that the culture was a little bit different back when, when Abraham was alive. And so they didn't have any, any kids. And then Sarah says, well, we, we got to make this happen, Abraham. And so Sarah is frustrated because she can't produce what God has promised her. Anyone ever been frustrated because of what you can't produce? You're trying and you're trying and you just feel like you are just hitting your head on the wall because you're not producing what God has promised in your life. And so she says, all right, Abraham, this is what we're going to do. Abraham, you're going to sleep with Hagar. She's fertile. You're going to sleep with her. And Abraham, like an idiot, says, all right, if, you, if that's what you want me to do, I'll go ahead and do it. So, so they go, and, and Abraham sleeps with Hagar, and Hagar gets pregnant. And then all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose in the Abraham household. You think there's dysfunction in your family. Check out the father of our faith, Abraham. And then all of a sudden, Hagar is frustrated because of the burden that she was forced to carry that she didn't want to carry. Sarah's frustrated because of what she can't produce. Because how many of you know that everybody is frustrated about something? That there are some people in here this morning that you are frustrated about what you cannot produce, but there's other people who are frustrated about the burden that they have because of what they have produced. And it's overwhelming to them. But everybody's frustrated about something. Sometimes our failures frustrate us. Sometimes our successes frustrate us because of the responsibility and the expectations that come with success. In my life, I have experienced more frustration and stress for my successes more so than my failures. Because when you succeed, then everyone expects you to succeed every single time. But everybody's frustrated. How do you handle frustration? Do you hit things? Do you throw things? Do you yell? Do you just don't say a word and isolate yourself from humanity? Those people drive me crazy. So at least if you're yelling and throwing things, I know how you feel. But we all handle it differently. And, and I want to show you through this story two ways that, that I believe most people handle frustration. The first way is what Sarah did. Sarah got frustrated because what she couldn't produce, 
She knew what God wanted her to, to do. She knew that she was going to be the mother of many nations, but she wasn't seeing any fruit. So this is what she did. She forced it. Any forcers out there. Where, where it's not happening the way that God told me it was going to happen, so I have to force it. I got to force it to happen. I have to do it my way because God's way isn't working. But how many of you know that you could get the right result the wrong way? And this is, the, for me, this is the one that I struggle with because I uh, equivalent patience with, with um, 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 laziness. I, I equivalent uh, patience with, with waiting and, and being lazy and not producing because a, a lot of times I feel like waiting, like what do I do when I'm waiting? I don't want to just sit here and wait. I want to do something. And, and a lot of times in that moment we force it the wrong way because you could get the right answer the wrong way. My son Judah, he's in second grade and he's going to a new school and, and the first day he came home, he's excited. Then he started getting homework, started getting math homework. I always help Judah with the math homework. I'm helping Judah with the math homework. And, and I realized that yes, in today's um, elementary schools, 10 plus 10 still equals 20. But you could get that answer the wrong way. I had no idea because I helped Judah with his homework. He comes home the next day after the quiz, and he got like a 35% on the quiz, and he's yelling at me, frustrated at me. And I'm like, I, I did it the way that I was taught to do it, the way that I thought you had to do it. But they're telling me that there's a new way to get 10 plus 15 to equal 25. I had no idea about this new way to do math. But how many know you could get the right answer the wrong way? I mean, God could say, I want you to have success, but if you do it your way and you step over people and you cut corners, you may be able to succeed, but you haven't built the infrastructure in order to keep you at that place because you did it your way and not God's way. You could get the right result, but get it the wrong way. You could raise children, and all you ever do with your children is build walls and rules around them, and you may be able to get them out of the house without committing felonies, but how many of you know that when those kids get older and they didn't have any love in the house and only rules and regulations, that you have maybe got them to graduate high school, you got them to do the right thing the wrong way, and now that they don't have those rules in place, they go wild and crazy because you did the right thing the wrong way. And this is what Sarah was burdened with. She was like, God wants me to have kids. Obviously, he's not doing it, so I got to make it happen. I don't want to wait. I don't want to rest. But Psalm 23, Christians, we have a shepherd that will make us lie down in green pastures. He wants us to have rest. And, and I don't like rest until I found out about something, Margo. I found out about active rest. Do you guys know about active rest? It's horrible, but it's awesome all at the same time. So I've been working out, and, and so uh, in between the workouts, um, they, they have us do something like, like, like bench press or, or something heavy, and then they, they tell us, all right, for your active rest, you have burpees. For your active rest, you have mountain climbers. For your active rest, you, you have squat jumps. I'm like, active rest? Active rest is sitting on a chair. That's active rest to me, but they're like, no, 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 you do the active rest because that's where the most gains happen is during the active rest. And then I said, oh, baby, that'll preach. I told my trainer, I was sweating like crazy. I said, I'm going to preach a sermon about active rest because I don't want to rest, but when it's active rest, I realize that I could grow in my rest. I could grow in my waiting, that I don't have to just sit here and do nothing, but as I get active, planted where God has called me to be, that I could grow even in a season where I feel like I'm stagnant. 
Yeah, one person got that. You, you could put your hands together. That was pretty good, I thought. Active rest. And, but I don't want to wait. Write this down if you're taking notes. The only thing worse than waiting is wishing you had. Let me say that again for the people that have ADD. The only thing worse than waiting is wishing that you had. Don't let your frustrations force you to do something outside of God's will. You don't come up with the solution. You submit yourself to God's process to produce the promise. And that can be one of the most challenging things that we go through in our life because Sarah was frustrated waiting. And she makes a choice that would affect her entire life. Somebody I know came to me and was dealing with something that wasn't their fault. They, they, they had a burden that was placed on them that wasn't because of anything that they did. And they were telling me about this and they were so frustrated and they were so angry. But I told them, just because you didn't do anything to cause what happened to you, doesn't mean you don't have a choice about how you're going to respond to that. Because I want to talk to you now for, about controlling and choices. Because a lot of times we think because we're not in control that we don't have a choice. And a lot of people, you're a control freak because you have to control everything. But like videos not working the way that you thought they should work. But you know what? You are not in control of anything. But you still have a choice. When you, I, I put this on Facebook. I, I, I like to put things on Facebook to see the response. This was a good response uh, to, to this little, little quote. Is that if you have to control everything, you can enjoy nothing. That, that's for a control freak in your family. That may be for you. You need to tell them that. You need to put that on their refrigerator. Because when you have to control everything, you can't enjoy a thing. But just because you can't control a situation doesn't mean you don't have a choice. Hagar was, was, was forced to carry a burden that she didn't want to have to carry, but she still had a choice. You may have been forced to go through something in your life that you did not ask for. You may have gone through something that was not your intention to ever go through, and you're frustrated, and you're angry, but don't allow the fact that you are unable to control your life forget to remind you that you still have a choice about how you are going to respond because the choice is yours how are you going to respond to what you can't control because when you choose to be a psalm 23 believer and say i choose joy in my life right now i choose peace in my life i choose peace over discouragement because discouragement is a choice i, I mean so, so sometimes be, being unhappy is a choice you choose to feel like that because you think it's going to make you feel better. But you know what David did? I love this. David in, in 1 Samuel chapter 30, he was in a depressed state. He was in a discouraged state. He had no one there, no preacher to encourage him. But he said, you know what? I'm the best preacher I could ever have. Did you know that you're the best preacher that you could ever have in your life? And David said, you know what? I'm going to preach to myself. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. He leads me not into temptation. I think that was something else. What was that? That was the Lord's prayer. I threw that in there for somebody. <laughs> you guys would have never even caught that if I didn't say anything. But sometimes you got to encourage yourself in the Lord. 
And that's what David was able to do. It's your choice. We overestimate how much control we have and underestimate the choices that we have because the truth is you're never really in control, but you always have a choice. And so Hagar is in a position where she didn't, she didn't control her situation. She's pregnant now, and now Sarah is, is despising Hagar because she's pregnant and she's not. And let, let me read this to you. It says, verse 6, your servant is in your hands, Abraham said to Sarah, do whatever you think is best. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar, and so she fled from her. A lot of you, you're forcers. When you get frustrated, you force things. But then probably worse than that, because that's obvious, is what other people do when they're frustrated. You're not a forcer, but you're a fleer. And this one is so devastating because... A forcer, you know when they're frustrated. But sometimes the people that are, that are fleers is they won't say a word and then all of a sudden they're gone. They, they, they won't even tell you how frustrated they are in a marriage and then the next minute they want a separation. They, all of a sudden they're in a job not even telling the, the boss what's going on and they just get sick of it and they just flee it. They don't force it, but they flee it. And that's what Hagar is doing right now in this, in this situation. And it says, the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. And it was a spring that is beside the road of Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? It's more important about where you're going and not what you're running from. A lot of you are running from things, but you have no idea what you're running, where you're running to. And here's Hagar, she's, she's running. She's running from this in, injustice that was done to her. It was unfair. And I would think that the angel would tell her and send her to a new place to go. go. Go to this new family, go to this new job, go to this new place. But that's not what the angel says to her. This is what the angel says. Verse 9, then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress Go back. Go back to your misery. Go back to that place that you want to flee from. Go back to that place that I planted you into. Even though you feel uncomfortable, even though that you are working and feel unappreciated, even though you feel like nothing in your life is producing, go back to that place. And then this is like a curse word right here for, for, for Christians. Go back and I hate, I hate this word. What does it say, honey? Submit. Submit. Go back to your misery and submit. And watch me do a miracle. If you go back to that place that I sent you, even though you feel like you're unappreciated, even though you feel like you are burdened, I want you to go back to that place because that is the place that I'm going to bless you. People that force it do it in a way where they don't allow God to produce the miracle that he wants to. But people that flee it aren't around long enough to see it when God brings it because they left it. But God is saying to somebody, go back. 
because I'm going to turn your burden into a blessing. If you go back to that place where you feel unappreciated, I'm going to produce a blessing in you, and you're going to know that it is the Lord working in that situation, that it wasn't you because you had a burden that I turned into a blessing. And then this is what happens, verse 10. It says, the angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. That's what's up. And the angel of the Lord said, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son and you shall name him Ishmael. And the Lord has heard of your misery. Goodness and mercy will follow you all of the days of your life if you learn to not force it and not flee it. And this message might not be for everybody, but I feel like this message is for maybe, maybe like 55 people, I'll just throw that number out there, who are in a place where you are stuck and frustrated, and you feel like you are seeing no progress in your life, and you feel like other people are getting blessed, and you're not getting blessed, but the word of the Lord to you is to go back and watch me do wonders in your life. You stay planted in the purposes that I have placed you in, and I will begin to manifest your burden into a blessing. But you'll never see it if you keep fleeing it. Some of you, that is what your number one prerogative in life to do is, is you're a fleer. Every time it gets challenging, you flee it. Every single time there's controversy, you flee it. Every single time you find somebody that doesn't like you and you don't like them, you flee it. You're going to be fleeing the rest of your life. You're going to be from one marriage to another marriage, one job to another job, one church to another church because there's no such thing as a perfect person or a perfect church. But there is such thing as a God who will plant you in a place where he has called you. Stop fleeing. If this is where God's planted you, then say, I'm going to be planted here. And I'm going to pray for them. But I'm going to ask God to give me grace and strength for this season that I'm in. Verse 13. She gave this name. To the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have seen the one who sees me. She couldn't see God when she was blaming. And, and, and if all you do is play the blame game, you will never see the blessing. Because you can't have both. You can't blame and be blessed at the same time. And if all you do is blame other people and blame situations and blame this, you are never going to see God or see the blessings in your life or see where God wants to take you. But if you could stop blaming, God can start blessing. It's your choice. It's your choice. Do you want to play the blame game the rest of your life? Or if you, do you want to say, God, I'm going to submit myself to this process? And I'm going to begin to see the blessings that you have already given me and what you have to come in my life. Oh, but this is so good. Are you ready? Are you ready for this? This is, this is going to blow your mind. Okay. Say, I'm ready, Pastor. Say, preach, Pastor. All right, here we go. So you got, you got Sarah who, who forced it. You got... Hagar, Hagar, who, who fled it, but God still brought the promise. Because 13 years later, guess who showed up on the scene? Sarah 
all of a sudden got prego at age niner niner. And she laughed, but God had the last laugh and gave her Isaac, and they named her Isaac, which means promised son and laughter. And so th th this, is the, this is the word is, is even when you force it, God can fix it. <laughs> even if you blew it and you fled it, God can still bless it. You can still have it. I know that you failed and you forced it and you fled it and you have a pile of failures in your life, but God can still fix it and you can still have it. This is for somebody who's lost hope. I want you to know you can still have it. You can still have peace. You can still have a relationship with your kids. You can still have a, a, a great marriage in your life. You can still have joy in your life. You can still have it even though you forced it. God can fix it. Stay planted. Praise God. That was, that was crazy. I don't know what happened. The lights went out. And, and then this is, this is what I want to say. Romans chapter 11 verse 29. For the gifts of God and his callings are irrevocable, which means you might have forced it, but it's still there. It's still in me. Worship team, you guys could come up now. I'm almost finished. And, and so uh, th this is, this is the, the best part here. This is the left hook. This is, this is the part that's going to blow your mind because surely in goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, right? Even when I force it, even when I flee it, I, I still have goodness and mercy following me. And so you have Hagar, who, who has Ishmael, and then you have, you have Abraham and Sarah, who have Isaac, the promised son. How many of you know God can use the mistakes in our life to still fulfill his promises? And, and, and so this, this, this blew my mind. This blew my mind. Somebody showed this to me uh, about, it was maybe six, seven months ago, and I had it in my notes, and I didn't know when I was going to preach, and this is the per perfect time to preach it. Because three generations later, Abraham has Isaac, Isaac has Jacob, Jacob's name gets changed to Israel, and then, and then they have 12 sons, also known as the 12 tribes of Judah. And, and so then he has this one son named Joseph, and Joseph was the sustainer of the promise. Because God is the Alpha, the Omega. What he starts, he sustains. It started with Abraham, and it was sustained by Joseph because there was a famine that was coming to all the, the people in the Middle East and Israel and Egypt. There was a severe famine, and God was going to use Joseph to be the one to save his people, his family, save the promise from the famine. But God had to use somebody else to get him there. And, and so Joseph was the sustainer. And he had a dream that he was going to be the prince of Egypt. But when you have a dream, there's always haters attached to that. A lot of times they're the people closest to us. And he had these brothers who hated on him for his dream. And they, they betrayed them. They took Joseph. They beat him. They bruised him. They threw him in a pit. And a lot of times God will use even the people that betray you to fulfill his destiny in your life. Jesus needed Judas to get to the cross. Hello. And so the, the people, the brothers that betrayed him, threw him in a pit. Here's Joseph. I want to read this. Don't put the scripture up yet. This is, this is my new favorite scripture of all time. And, and so they, they, they threw him in the pit. 
and they wanted to kill him. They were going to kill him. And then all of a sudden, verse 25, they sat down to eat their meal. They looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites. A caravan of Ishmaelites, the descendants of Ishmael, with their camels loaded with spices and myrrh and balm. And they were on their way to take him down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover his blood? Let us come and sell him to the Ishmaelites. The only thing that kept Joseph alive was the Ishmaelites coming down that road. My God. That God, he is so sovereign. He is so amazing that he will use the greatest mistakes of our life, the moments that we forced it. God says, it wasn't in my plan, but I'll use it still. And as Joseph was about to be killed, there's the Ishmaelites that God used because it's all part of the plan. Say, it's all part of the plan. Every bit of it, like we saw last week, God is the master chef, that he takes all of it, all the seasons of our life, puts it in the kingdom crock pot, stirs it up, and he produces a great feast with your life. But he uses everything, even the mistakes, even the Ishmaels, even the Hagars, everything in our life that we tried to force and flee. If we give it to God, if we release it to him, he could turn it into a blessing. And I say this to encourage somebody this morning who has made some mistakes and you feel like God is through with you. I want you to know that God is going to use it. Now, don't use this as an excuse to go out and make Ishmael's. Because <laughs> I know the emails I'll get, right? <laughs> no, no, no. Because if you read the Bible, the Ishmaelites were one of the most annoying, uh, hurtful, frustrating people that the Israelites ever had to deal with in the Bible. But there are always consequences. But God could always redeem your mistakes. That though there are consequences, there is redemption. It can still happen. Goodness and mercy will follow you all of the days of your life. In every valley, in every mistake, in every dark season. And this is the last scripture I want to read to you and then we're going to worship God this morning. David said it in Psalms chapter 139. This is, this is what he said. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Stand to your feet if you feel this right now, if you're able to. If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths of hell, in the pit of my mistakes, in the darkest of valleys, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Even there your righteous right hand will hold me fast, will lift me up. Surely goodness and mercy will follow you all of the days of your life. Praise. You give the Lord a big hand clap if you know that he could turn mistakes into miracles.